0: Welcome to The Single Cell World, the podcast for scientists in which we disentangle single cell technology. Here, frustration and failure are transformed into clarity and understanding. I am Katia Motino, and in this podcast, I want to share with you my experience in single cell research. How? In the form of useful advices that you can use in the lab after each episode. Ready to learn? Let's start. Hi, everyone. I hope you are having a good day. Today I will talk about liquid samples that were used in single-cell experiments. Of course, I will talk about the ones for which works or publications are already available. Maybe there were other samples, liquid samples, that were used but the results were not good or they are not published yet. And to start, I will say what is a liquid sample. In single-cell research is a fluid that contains cells that can be analyzed using different protocols. Liquid samples are the favorite of single-cell researchers. Why? Because the sample preparation protocols are easy to follow and are short normally. And of course, this increases the probability for us to have good cells to do our single-cell experiment. Since our biological material here is liquid with cells in suspension, what we will need to do is remove the debris and wash our cells before we use them in the experiment. But before I give you a general idea of the sample preparation protocols that can be used, I will mention the liquid samples that were already used. Blood, pleural fluid, synovial fluid, cerebrospinal fluid, CSF, bronchio-alveolar lavage fluid, BAL, (laughs) peritoneal fluid, urine, saliva, milk, salmon, cell culture suspensions, and sea or ocean water. The researchers that use this type of samples were mainly interested in studying DNA or RNA at single-cell level. And to study gene expression or RNA, they used single-cell protocols like the SMART-C2, the ones from 10X genomics, both the 3' and 5' approach. And for the DNA, they use protocol of single-cell wall genome amplification. Let's see then the sample preparation protocols for this type of samples. I will start from the easiest to the more complicated. The first protocol, and to be honest, I don't know if I can call this a protocol, is filtering. We will need strainers and clean tubes. Ideally, low-binding tubes. What we need to do is to pass our liquid sample through the strainer, and these will remove cellular debris and purify the cells that we have in suspension. Another question is, what strainers, what filters, do they need to have specific characteristics? Well, it's true that not all of them will work. For single-cell experiments, what we use are strainers that have a mesh with sizes ranging from 100 micrometers to 40 micrometers is diameter of the pore of the strainer or filter. We should begin with the largest mesh strainer with 100 micrometers, then check the sample if there is a lot of aggregates or debris, and if there are, we should reduce. Why? Because if the mesh strainer is very small, sometimes there are cells that will not pass through the strainer. So, it's always better to start with the bigger ones. What we have to keep in our mind is Each time that we filter our sample, we will lose cells. In relation to the brands that are compatible and suggested by single-cell companies concerning the strainers, I will give you some examples and also examples of filters that I used and they work very well. For example, Flow Me strainers, the Smart strainers from Ilteni or Pluris strainers. I will leave the links for these products in the blog post that will be released on Thursday, but also in the description of this episode. The second type of protocols that I want to talk about are the ones that allow us to separate the cells from the debris according to their size and density. These are the density gradient centrifugation protocols. In these protocols, we need to use a special solution that normally is composed by polysaccharides and salts. It's like a mixture. They have different names and they are very similar, I'm sure that you heard about them. Lymphoprep, Istopac, Optiprep, there are a lot more. What we have to do in these protocols is put this liquid on the tube and on top of it, we will put slowly, very slowly, our sample. There are certain protocols, depending on the solution that we use, that will be the other way around. First, we put our sample and then on top of it, we put this solution. Afterwards, we have to centrifugate the tubes and the solution will be separated on layers. During the centrifugation, the cells will be, again, separated by size and density, with the heavier cells sinking to the bottom of the tube and the lighter ones will float. Afterwards, what we will need is to collect the cells of interest from their respective layer. So if we know that our cells will be On the bottom of the tube, we will collect those cells or if it is in the interface, in the middle of the tube, we will collect it there. What we need to do next is to wash our cells with a buffer solution that will be compatible with downstream applications. In this case, compatible with a single cell protocol that we will be used. This type of protocol we use a lot for blood, bone marrow or CSF samples Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Now I want to highlight something very important. In the case you want to study granulocytes from the blood, don't use this protocol to isolate cells. You have to use columns to get the granulocytes. If you use fecal or similar solutions, you will lose the granulocytes. So, as you may guess, the first step of a sample preparation is to try to look for the best protocol for our type of sample. Other type of protocols widely used for liquid samples are the ones using magnetic columns. These type of protocols can be divided in two. The ones where we do positive selection and the ones that we do negative selection. I will explain now. Anyways, the first step in this type of protocols is to label the cells. We can label the cells that we are interested in, and this is a positive selection, or we can label the cells that we don't want, and here is negative selection. Let's say that I'm interested in studying only the cells that express CD45, CD45 positive cells. If I want to do a positive selection, what I will do is to label my cells with antibodies against this protein, These antibodies are covering magnetic beads. What will make these magnetic beads attach to my cells of interest? After, what I will do is to apply a magnetic field. So, all the cells that have these magnetic beads will be stuck to this magnetic field. Let's imagine that the magnetic field is a wall where there is a support for us to put a column. This column will be the one where we will pass our sample through. If we don't remove the column from the wall, from the magnetic field, the cells that are labeled will not detach. But all the other cells that are not labeled, that don't express CD45, will pass through the column. After, to recover our labeled cells, what we will do is to remove the magnetic field and, with a buffer, wash from the column the cells that are interested for us, CD45 positive cells. In the case we wanted a negative selection, what we should have done is to label our cells with a protein that is specific for CD45 negative cells. Then we will apply the magnetic field and all the cells that will pass through the column will be CD45 positive and will be the ones that we will kept for a single cell experiment. Of course these cells will not have attached magnetic beads. This is something for us to pay attention when we are planning to use this type of protocols, because there are magnetic beads that may be not compatible with certain single cell platforms. An example of compatible magnetic beads and columns are the ones from Milteni Biotech. I'm sure there will be more, but these were the ones that I used until now. Why the magnetic beads can be a problem. For example, if you are using microfluidic devices, if these magnetic beads are big, Maybe they will block the capillaries of your device and, of course, your experiment will fail. So make sure that the beads that you are using are compatible with a single cell platform that you will have to use downstream. The last sample preparation protocol that I would like to talk today is about the fluorescence activated cell sorting. FACTS. To start this protocol, we need a cell suspension that we need to wash in a specific buffer to remove any contaminants. After, we will need to stain our cells with one or more fluorescent markers specific to the target or cell type that we are interested in checking. Then, we will need to load our sample in the cytometer. I will simplify the maximum for you to understand what is happening in this machine. Let's imagine that our cytometer is like a slide, not a PowerPoint slide, but a structure with a smooth sloping surface for children or adults, I love it, to slide down. This will be the base of our cytometer. And at a certain point, our slide will have two detectors, one that will detect the red color and the other, the green color. After these detectors, there is a bifurcation of the slide depending on the color. So the things that are detected with the red color, it will go in one side and the things that are detected with a green color on the other. Let's return to our experiment. Let's say that the cells are kids, and previously we stained our cells with two colors, red and green. To simplify, we will not have cells that have both colors. And here we will have two groups, the kids that will have a green t-shirt and the kids that will have a red t-shirt. So when we put our cells in the cytometer, it's like we put a group of kids sliding down. And in this slide, as I mentioned before, there will be a detector. When it detects a kid that has a green t-shirt, it will send them in one way, and a kid with red t-shirt in the other way. It will separate them according to the color of their t-shirt. The same happens in the cytometer concerning the cells. The cells will be separated according to their color They're fluorescent, but also they can be separated according other parameters like their size. For example, if we want single cells, the size will be smaller than when we have two cells, an aggregate. So this is what we call the gatings, the parameters that we need to establish to do the best selection of our cells. Let me give you some specifics for a FACS protocol if downstream you will do a single cell experiment. First thing, we cannot fix the cells. The staining needs to be done in live cells without being fixed. The second thing is the nozzle of the needle of the cytometer. If we are using cells, we must use a 100 micrometers nozzle. In the case we are using nuclei, we can use a 70 micrometers nozzle. The third thing is that we should collect the cells that come out from the cytometer in a tube or plate that contain liquid, contain PBS with BSA. You must avoid EDTA. I know that sometimes there is no other option and we can use it but in low concentration. Why we should not use buffers that contain EDTA? Because they will inactivate the enzymes that are involved in downstream reactions of the single cell kits. Still concerning the tubes or the plates where we will collect our cells from the cytometer, these ones should be in a support that ideally should be at 4 degrees. Everything should be kept in cold. Just to finish, I want to mention that in some cases, the researchers didn't have enough number of cells to do the single cell experiment right away. This is something that I will talk in more detail in one of the next episodes. But I wanted to mention here what were the strategies that the researchers that use liquid samples adopt. So they used two strategies to increase this number of cells. The first one was the use of ashing antibodies. And the second was the cellular culture of the cells that they isolate from the samples. In the first approach, each individual sample was stained with a specific antibody that was marked with a specific tag. So the sample 1 has a tag A, the sample 2, the tag B. And afterwards, they pull all the samples together in one tube. They mix all of them in one tube. And this tube had, let's say, a complex sample that they will use afterwards for their single cell experiments. Whenever they got the data, they were able, since they have a specific tag per individual sample, they were able to identify each cell to what individual sample was belonging. In the second approach, what they did was isolate the cells that they had in their liquid sample and grow them in vitro with certain growth factors with a specific medium until they had enough cells to collect and to use in their single cell experiment. These are some strategies that we can use to increase the number of cells for a single cell experiment. Before I go, I just want to mention the liquid samples for which there is nothing published concerning single cell experiments. Maybe this will be the novelty in your future project. Examples of these liquid samples are bile, pericardial fluid, lacrimal fluid, nasal fluid, acides, seminal fluid, or vaginal fluid. So, it's everything for today. I hope that with this episode, you got a general overview concerning sample preparation of liquid samples. In the future, I will have different guests that will talk in more detail about specific liquid samples, like, for example, blood or cerebral spinal fluid. See you next week, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to the Single Cell World Podcast. If you think it was useful or you learned something new, please spend some seconds rating this podcast on Spotify or leaving a comment on Apple Podcasts. It will make me super, super happy. For more tips or advice, follow me in Instagram or Twitter at Single Cell World, or simply subscribe our website or blog At www.thesinglecellworld.com. Well, I will wait for you next Monday with a new episode.